This week, we're going to look at Jesus' claim to be the bread of life in John chapter 6. What does he mean when he says this? How does he go about making this claim? And what are the implications of this claim if it's true? For context, we see in the beginning of John's gospel, he introduces Jesus as God, the word who is with God is God, became flesh, and dwelt among us. And he does this all while alluding to the creation account in Genesis. Now, throughout his gospel, we see echoes of scriptures like Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Kings, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and many more. And these serve as reference points to Jesus, who himself said about the Old Testament scriptures that they bear witness about me. In the context of John's gospel and his purpose statement of belief in Jesus for eternal life speaks to an audience that was familiar with the Old Testament, many of whom were aware and some of whom were preparing for the arrival of Messiah. Several times in John's gospel, he records people asking if Jesus was the prophet who was to come into the world, signifying that the people were expecting his arrival. But like John said, he came to his own and they did not receive him. Jesus' I am statements make it abundantly clear. He is no mere man, messenger, or prophet of God. He is God. And leading up to what is known as the Bread of Life Discourse in John chapter 6, we already read through chapters 1 through 5 about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine, Jesus teaching Nicodemus about being born again, Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus' miracle of healing the official son, and Jesus healing a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. He's already had several confrontations with the religious leaders, and now crowds of people are starting to follow him. Then in chapter 6, we read of two more miracles, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then walks on water. Now there's a detail in the feeding of the 5,000 that harkens back to the Old Testament prophet Elisha. When Jesus asks where to buy bread for the people, his disciple Andrew directs attention to a boy with barley bread. In 2 Kings 4, we read how Elisha took an inadequate amount of barley bread and fed a hundred men, and they had some left over. Interestingly, in the same chapter, we read how Elisha performed a miracle where he healed a boy, raised him from the dead after stretching himself out over him. And in contrast, Jesus not only feeds more people, but also does so with less bread and heals a boy from a distance. We see in this comparison that Jesus is greater than Elisha, who, by the way, had inherited a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. In addition, the inclusion of the account that follows in which Jesus walks on water is not only something that neither Elisha nor any other prophet had done, but also is recorded in Job chapter 9 as something that only God can do. As it says, God alone treads upon the waves of the sea. Now with this in mind, let's read Jesus' interaction with the people after these miracles, picking up in chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. That's important to note here that in Jewish tradition, it was the head of the household who would give thanks like this. Picking back up in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. 
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so right away, Jesus is very clear about the difference between the eternal and the temporal, as well as the message of believing in him. So in verse 30, they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We see here Jesus is very intentional and direct about who he is when he says the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And then he says, I am the bread. He's also very clear when stating where he comes from when he says in verse 38, I have come down from heaven. Jesus also emphasizes that whoever comes to him, he will never cast out and that he'll raise him up on the last day. Over and over again, the link between believing in Jesus and eternal life is not only repeated, but assured as a permanent result and stands in contrast to the temporal things of this world. So the Jews in verse 41 grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now notice there was no problem with him doing miracles. Nobody ever said that he didn't do those things, but it's his identity that people take issue with. In verse 42, they say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. And this should be reminiscent of the Israelites in the wilderness, who also grumbled before God gave them manna. But now with this group, they're grumbling after they've been fed. So Jesus repeats himself in verse 44 and says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father." And again, Jesus doubles down on his claim of divinity and his claim to have a direct, special relationship to God the Father. And he even uses Isaiah 54 as a proof text. 
And next he says in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever believes has eternal life. And in the statement, whoever believes has eternal life, the Greek word here for has is eke, which is used in present tense. Jesus doesn't only promise eternal life in the future, but right now. At the moment of belief in Jesus for eternal life, you have, present tense, eternal life. He goes on in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And Deuteronomy 8.3 tells us that God fed the Israelites with manna to humble them and teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now Jesus is expounding on this by identifying himself as the very sustenance of life given by God to the world. In verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread that came from heaven, not the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things as he taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. So, not holding anything back, Jesus really drills down into the bread of life metaphor. So much so that the people are offended by what he says. Even the disciples confess it's a hard teaching. And after all, he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, certainly in this culture, cannibalism was a terrible act. But specifically, consuming blood for Jews was expressly forbidden. So what is Jesus saying? If you've been following the development of the metaphor, it should be clear that what he's saying is not literal. So why all the rejection? We've already discussed the problem people had with equating himself to God, but is there something else going on here? In the chapter that follows, Jesus tells the Pharisees about judging with righteous judgment. He says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. So if you can get past the shock of his metaphorical language, it's plain to see his simple point that belief in him results in eternal life. And eternal life is a huge concept. It's something that we can't readily see with our eyes, but Jesus is leading his hearers and us to see with spiritual eyes. So we have to be careful what we take literally. For example, some people look at his saying in the last passage and apply it to the role of the Eucharist in communion. They believe that the taking of the bread and the wine is literally eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus, and that you must do so in order to get eternal life. But this type of thinking ignores two major teachings of Jesus. One, that Jesus said to take the bread and cup in remembrance of him, not to gain eternal life. And two, over and over again, Jesus makes it clear that it is belief alone that grants eternal life, period. So there's a tension here when we read scripture where we have to be careful not to interpret everything literally, but we also don't want to over-spiritualize everything either. The physical and the spiritual worlds coexist, and Jesus shows us that he's Lord of both by way of his words and his works. Throughout the Bible, we see God dealing with both of these realities, 
His miracles are supernatural events that not only affect the physical world, like healing, feeding, deliverance from danger, but also the spiritual world in which he teaches us how to rely on his provision, how to be in fellowship with him, and even gain eternal life. If Jesus is who he claims to be, and the resurrection is the chief piece of evidence that he is, then what are we to do? The first step is belief. Believe in Jesus for eternal life. Jesus, being God, is eternal and the creator of life. He therefore has the power to give life eternally. And while the law and following Jesus can certainly have an impact on our behavior, that is peripheral to his main teaching in John's gospel on eternal life. Like the late Ravi Zacharias has said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people live. After receiving eternal life, we now have the opportunity to live into that life in the present. So let's learn more about Jesus, what he said and what he did. And like the Samaritan woman at the well, go tell somebody about him. We now have the freedom to live relying not on the temporal things of this world, but rather in the eternal power and presence of Jesus Christ. So chapter 6 ends with some of the disciples no longer wanting to follow Jesus. And you'll likely see this happen to people in your life. When Jesus asked the twelve if they would leave too, Peter responds by saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So let this be a reminder to us that there is nothing or no one besides Jesus, past, present, or future, who can provide eternal life. And when we read that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, let us understand that this word by which we shall live is Jesus, the bread of life. 